Hey, everybody. Welcome to Watch Party Game and the newest Watch Party podcast. Uh, coming to you from the crew at Watch Party Wheel of Time. Uh, that's right. This actually started as uh, some bonus episodes of the Watch Party Wheel of Time, and we decided we enjoyed it so much we were just going to spin it off into its own thing. So, hi, I'm Ruark. I am one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Saima. I'm your other host. And uh, we have a crew of six that's right, six panelists that we uh, talk to. Some of us are big, big Gaiman fans, and some of us are new to the universe that he's he's showing us. So uh, it's it's a mixture of interesting views, interesting interesting opinions, interesting. Anybody else have something interesting to say? Enjoying <laughs> <laughs> watching you flail, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I, I want popcorn. <laughs> No, <laughs> interesting perspectives especially when it's way too early to be doing oh yeah uh so that was greg just talking up greg why don't you introduce yourself really quickly to us? hi i'm greg uh, i'm a resident of austin texas uh grew up in louisiana and i'm just an all-around nerd we're happy to have you and uh, I also see Siobhan with us. Siobhan, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. I am a uh, non-binary person living in Toronto. Any pronouns are fine. Um, I was dragged into podcasting as a newbie by Ruark when they started uh, their Wheel of Time um, podcast with a bunch of people who've never read the books. So then uh, during the down season, we started doing uh, Sandman. And so now I'm an addict. Now I come here every weekend to hang around with these people and talk nonsense. <laughs> it's great fun. And David, there you are. Hey, everybody. I'm David. I'm like Greg, a longtime uh, nerd and uh, fan of visual media. I like the TV and video styles, um, especially sci-fi. You'll find out pretty quickly I'm... A massive Star Trek fan. No. no. You, you really? Star Trek? No. Enjoy uh, watching uh, everything that we've done, including the fantasy and uh, comic book properties. And Samaria is with us today. Why don't you introduce yes. yourself, Samaria? Happy to. Hi, everybody. I'm Samaria. I'm, I grew up in Maryland, USA, and now I live in Alabama. Um, I am a person of many varied interests that don't make immediate sense in one person. Um, I love hockey and I love football and I love friends, which is why I'm here. Ruark and these people are awesome. Um, and I am a bit of a geek, a bit of a nerd, uh, but I've hyper fixated on a few things. And so I'm constantly getting reintroduced to new things um, like Sandman and Wheel of Time. And it's all been a great time. Um, so happy to be here. I can't wait to really get into the nitty gritty guts of our new podcast. When are we doing our Avatar podcast? Oh, whenever you like. I, I assume you're talking uh, Last Airbender and not that James Cameron. Oh my gosh. Thing. I learned the last in the last two weeks that the reason why Avatar: The Last Airbender has the Last Airbender at like attached to the end of it is because James Cameron like blocked Nickelodeon from just naming their show. I, you Avatar. know, I can't. I cannot say I'm surprised to hear that. Me neither. I was like, of course, this makes <laughs> right. perfect sense. Of course, he would do that, even though Avatar: The Show started and ended before the movie even existed in anyone's 
like consciousness and it's far more popular so you know yeah whatever oh, it's just it's fine. hot uh we've got two other members of the crew that aren't here with us for this uh little extra recording that we're doing but they are dw who is a dear dear friend of mine uh, lives in Hollywood, is a professional voice actor by trade, um, and and he he and I um, were very, very close friends, and as soon as I said I was doing a podcast, he was like, okay, when do I show up? It, it was pretty much how it went. So he's he's a great guy, great, great, uh, um, great voice, honestly, and that's coming from me, so... And, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, on this first episode, you'll hear him up in a minute as, as well as Axel. And I don't know if there's any way you can really explain Axel. Can somebody else try to explain Axel? Really friggin' cool alien reincarnated <laughs> on Earth. How did they explain themselves? The, the person that knows more than you about just about everything, except the one thing that you know more yeah, about he, he, uh, Axel yeah. says, <laughs> I know more about you about just about everything except the thing that you know a lot about. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's such and a, when that has a to be one of my t-shirts. Come on. <laughs> yeah. and, and, when they are on, you will hear about it, too. And, and the funny thing is, oh, it's, yeah. it sounds kind of uh, like, like they're full of themselves, but... Uh, it, it turns out to be true more true. often than not. <laughs> and they make it so much fun, and Axel is just so like, just genuine a person to be around that you honestly don't mind at all, yeah. one bit. Oh, yeah. When Axel gets rolling, it's like okay, <laughs> showtime. Axel is by <laughs> far the funnest one of you to have to edit, and that's that's fun, this, fun in uh, quotes. <laughs> Right. So this first episode, uh, we kind of got off the, came out of the gates hot, and everybody was babbling about all the cool stuff that was in in this series. But uh, we got it under control and got through the first two episodes in in this first episode of our podcast. So we'll let uh, let that original episode play, and uh, we'll meet you in the next one. to watch party wheel of time i'm your host saima and i'm your host ruark and hello panel it's okay it, it, it's your first introduction you can you're, you're allowed to stumble a little bit hey i thought that was seamless what do you want about <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely seamless. That was perfect. I, I'll have to end, edit edit out my 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 uh, critique. So great. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> we make it look easy. Oh, so easy. So glad this is recording. We're professionals. Anyway, she said. Today we have joining DW. Hi everybody. Greg, not David. Hello. Axel. Hi there. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. And Samaria. Hello again. Oh, I'm exhausted. Are we done now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's if we can call that a post podcast. And that's yeah. right. <laughs> We'd like to say thank you to our sponsors. Uh, <laughs> Final question. Was that enough? Yeah, especially if anyone's like, you know, watching this on the live stream, this is what you get. Okay. 
But no. we just loop so, this for an hour. Yeah, this is how the sausage gets made. I would listen to it seriously. I I miss not being here when I listen to the shows when I'm not on. I'm like, oh, I missed it. But uh, speaking of shows, today we're doing something a little bit different. We have discussed doing the Sandman, and we've also had um, some of our show fans asking if we would do the Sandman. So, trumpet sound. Here we have. We're doing the Sandman. <laughs> So some of us are fans of Sandman and some of us have uh, just recently binge watched uh, and some of us have done both. Um, so, yeah, I thought maybe we could open with um, a quick how we came to Sandman, whether it was a long time ago or just recently. Um, so for myself, Sandman is uh, inextricably linked to Wheel of Time for me. So I started reading both when I was 16. And the local comic shop owner actually said you're gonna love this comic and he gave me death so he actually gave me the standalone um issue that was with her and yeah i he just nailed it i absolutely loved her um i was a pakistani um goth girl that didn't look like a goth girl so uh, <laughs> she was my 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 inner goth um and my wannabe goth and um and then the Sandman, the first collection was out as a graphic novel. So I read them in the novel format. So I got the 10 volumes, not the individual issues. And that's how I got into it. And I read it alongside Wheel of Time. And so for me, and we'll talk more about, you know, the storytelling, but Gaiman and Jordan, that's kind of like the big kahunas when it comes to storytelling and mythology and what I grew up on in my formative years. So that was me. Um, Ruak? <sighs> Um, yeah, um, I, I myself grew up as a goth kid and was well aware of Sandman, but strangely enough, I did not actually read it until just recently. Um, and I, I had not experienced anything of Sandman until the, the Netflix series had come out. Um, and that's very strange because I actually have some close connections to Sandman. Um, uh, Mike Drinkenberg, the original artist, is actually a local to me and was heavily involved in the same uh, goth and punk scene that that I was. Um, my my spouse actually was on a first name basis with him. Uh, they they saw each other and conversed on a regular basis. Um, and um, he actually based the character of Death off of another person in our local scene. Uh, who who was a friend of mine. She passed of cancer a few years back. But uh, yeah, I, I also happened to know the person that, that your favorite character, Saima, was based on. So That's so awesome. Greg? Uh, I came to Sandman kind of late. It's one that I've always heard about, but never actually got a chance to read. Uh, Neil Gaiman has been a guy that it's just sort of, I've been aware of, and I've admired without reading too much of his his stuff and actually what spurred me on to to get into sandman was just before the show was announced i or that i was aware of it i caught good omens on netflix mm. which was just another brilliant show <laughs> and <laughs> i'm like okay i gotta i gotta <laughs> get into the you know to this guy's stuff so i uh I read the Sandman comics and just loved it. Loved it. It was fantastic. And then when I heard the show was coming, it's like, oh, yes, this is going to be cool. I wonder how it's going to turn out. And uh, 
yeah, I binge watched it once and then watched it again with my wife and continued rereading the comics. So uh, I, uh, I I thoroughly fell in love with that whole universe. Awesome. DW? So I, I also grew up as a goth kid, and uh, I was exposed from different angles. I was kind of a weekend goth because I went to private school, so I couldn't look like a goth the rest of the week. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I got exposed to the comics first because everybody in my circle had Can't Sleep Clowns Will Eat Me written all over everything. And I loved the phrase, and I was like, I need to know what this is about. And, uh, yeah, started reading the series. Uh, just am a huge fan of Neil's writing. Um, he's done stuff for uh, Doctor Who. He's done stuff for uh, the, the Coraline animated series is brilliant. Uh, like or Animated series, animated movie. Um, I'd love for it to be a series. But yeah, and so when they said that they were doing this, it was one of those things I'm like, I need to watch this. This is going to be fantastic. I can't wait because there was a uh, attempt at a movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt a while ago, and that Mm -hmm. fell through. And while I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt's acting style and everything, oh, they found the personification. Like, they really, this guy looks like he walked off the pages of the comic. It was fantastic. Great. Well, we're going to get more into uh, the characters, but I just want to say on the um, the script that didn't make it. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm sure I read it online. I forgive me, Neil, if I uh, read it wrong. I'm sure he said something like he was the one that leaked that script because it was so bad he didn't want it made. And I can totally imagine that. I can totally imagine him doing that. So, so he he pulled a reverse Deadpool on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Samaria. Yes. Um, I was not a goth um, at all. Uh, <laughs> but I did spend decent enough time in the fantasy sci-fi section of my library once like I wore the regular fiction uh, section out. So Sandman's been in like a thing in my mind. I just never picked it up for many reasons. There's just so many books to read and comics. Um but I loved Good Omens. I loved American Gods, the book. So when Sandman came around, I was like, bet, I'm going to watch that. Um, usually shows tell me when I watch them, not the other way around. Um, but since we were doing this show today, I was like, ah, it's, it's finally time. Um, and I loved it. Like Neil's work is pretty much the only kind of horror, like, or horror adjacent anything I'll, I'll watch or read. Um, because I am a big scaredy cat. So, <laughs> but it's so colorful and saturated and I love the mythologies and Neil always like hits that very specific like button in my brain where all those things combine. Um, so I am having a great time with the Sandman now. <laughs> I'm absolutely the same. I think Neil Gaiman is the only horror I've ever read my entire life. Um, apart, apart from the point horror fiction series when I was at school, but that's like ridiculous. Yeah, that's I didn't even read Nancy Drew. Like, I, I couldn't do it. I'm a wuss. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's interesting. I don't think I've I've read quite a bit of Neil Gaiman stuff as well, and I don't think I'd qualify any of it as horror. Um, I wouldn't say it was horror the way like Stephen King is, mm-hmm. um, or like Jason. But there's a creep element in like it has going on that just kind I, of like. 
I, I get that, uh, but to him, or to me, his work always just reeks so much of retelling mythology that to me it's less horror and more like a retelling of those mythological monsters kind of thing. So that you which know. were pretty horrible as well. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he amps it up. Like I mean, you could take something that's romantic, right? Uh, well, I mean, we'll get into the details later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> weren't the weeping angels the, the like result of Neil Gaiman? I think they were. And oh my god, that was him. weeks. I think so. No, that was um, they were, they were Moffat. Uh, oh, his okay. Doctor Who was the um, the the Doctor's wife, um, which is very kind. Which is that one is very fantasy, very um, yeah, very strange otherworldiness. Uh, well, Axel, continue. How did you come okay, to Zanman? Sure. Well, so technically, I guess my first exposure to Neil Gaiman was uh, his autobiography, or his sorry, his biography of Duran Duran that my sister bought back in the early 80s. Um, I need to find this. And then he wrote for two th some, uh, some shorts for 2000 AD, which I was, which I was reading. Um, and then I think Violent Cases, and uh, so basically from the beginning, Violent Cases I think was his first graphic and that was really cool and then sandman i got into because um i was reading hellblazer and swamp thing at the time so this was sort of the third in the proto vertigo line um so i have like mm. the like i started buying so i started buying sandman from from issue one um because i was a nerdy role-playing comic reading goth um do you still have yeah. them yes <laughs> Oh, awesome. <laughs> Siobhan. So I was introduced to Sandman by my sister. Um, my youngest sister was eight years. There was eight years difference between us. Um, so we didn't have a lot in common socially, but she absolutely loved comic books. And she very much turned me onto comic books. It became the thing that we had in common. So she introduced me to Sandman. She loaned me uh, Good Omens for the first time. And it was something that um, we bonded over, our mutual love of this universe. So um, my sister had uh, autoimmune disease. She died um, eight years ago. And I over the years, I had bought her all these gifts, like prints and... I have these, um, you know, limited edition figurines that I gave her, which have now returned to me. And it, so I have them all over my, my room. Um, it's been kind of a bittersweet experience watching all this stuff finally getting turned into, um, you know, TV and movies, because I keep thinking about how happy she would have been to see all this stuff finally make it to the screen. Like it would have been... She would have been over the moon about it. So it's been, um, it's been long enough since her death that this has kind of become a thing that I can now enjoy, and it reminds me of her. And it's also something that I enjoy for its own sake. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Siobhan. I think I've been seeing that quite a lot about people. It, again, similar to Wheel of Time, something that they read or shared with loved ones when they were young. And then for various reasons, you know, people have gone different ways. And it's this reminder of what it was like that first time 
when you were reading it and being blown away by all the mythology. Um, I also have a figurine somewhere in a box. I do need to get it out. This, I mean, this is the, the time to have the figurines out, really, when the show is out. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think that's a feature of just the fact that the being turned into a series happened so long after the original books and comics came out. You, they have all this history now that really mm-hmm. lends itself to the enjoyment of it. They came out in what eighty eight. The comics? That sounds about right. I thought we could look at the first story, um, but before we get there, just to give a, a kind of overview of The Endless. So, as I, as I went back, so I, I watched the series, and I was, as I was saying to the panel before we started recording, I watched it with my hand across my eyes for a bunch of it. Not because the show was horrific. The show was actually really tame, I think, compared to the comics. Now, having said I read this first when I was 16, and I probably reread it until my early 20s. Um, but it's not one that I've gone back to. And I remember about seven years ago when we moved into where we're living now, I'd put the volumes on the bookshelf, and then I was like, gosh, it's been so long since I've read this. Like, Wheel of Time, I, you know, I've been reading constantly. And, and I thought, I'll go back and read it. And, you know, I couldn't. Because I think I've just become more sensitive. Like, the horror... It's the the artwork and the writing is so powerful that I there and there there is there are panels that have stayed in my mind from the first time I read them. So when as I was watching the show with my husband, I had the panel in my head and I thought I don't want to see that <laughs> made into real life. <laughs> so I was like, hand over. Okay, tell me when this bit is over. Tell me when like this thing's coming up. Tell me when it's over. And it didn't actually happen the same way. And so when I rewatched it this week, I was just like, oh, okay. Like I've, and I'm sure with time having gone by, the horror elements that I remember, I've probably made bigger in my head, right? So if I went back to the comic, actually, no, it's not true. I went through the comic today and it was pretty <laughs> horrific. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, just, I, I just reread them in the last couple of days just to prepare right? for this. And I was like, wow. <laughs> this yes. is, there's stuff on this page you could not do now. Right. Yeah, there's especially with um with Rachel and the sand. The you know, I thought to myself, okay, I I won't look at the images. I'll try just to look at the the speech bubbles and even the speech bubbles. I was like, oh no, I I I forget it. It's okay. I've seen the episode twice and I read this when I was young. I I don't need to read it anymore. Um so but for me it's like the trauma and the horror is almost too real. And I think that's why I can't go back really to the visual medium in the same way it's enough that it lives in my head in the memories like i wish i could remember more important things than the things that i actually have in my brain but we've spoken about this before Ruach. um so so it's really interesting now to go back to it and 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 think actually the series is not as it's 18 it's um i think 18 is mature adult in the u.s um it's tvma in the u.s right okay so here it's it's just 18 that's the highest you can go and yet I still, I'm like, okay, thanks, Neil, for changing bits so I can watch it <laughs> again <laughs> and again. <laughs> um, so it's about the, about the endless, primarily about dream. But I love the sense of the endless, these anthropomorphic personifications of functions of existence. And, and actually, I remember somewhere, it was like, they're not even personifications. They are, and I think death says this, they are, what, they are their function, right? So there's this kind of, it's not even a personification of, it makes it 
more immediate that they literally are the thing that they are doing and i just think i love that this is what i love about gaiman he can take these really abstract simple ideas and flesh them out the way he does with all of the endless right yeah and um we later find out that they are children of cosmic entities called night and time uh, which is another comic in itself but um as we go through the stories right you know, the, the main themes are change and hope and i wanted to share this line um just because i love it so much and i think it also can give more depth to the stories in one of the comics um one i'm not going to say which one one of the endless says to dream that each of the endless is really a lord of opposites so we have destiny and freedom life and death dreams and reality destruction and creation desire and hatred despair and hope and delirium and sanity i just mm. oh, i just love it just think it's fantastic so i can pontificate about the endless you know for hours <laughs> but let's see let's open it up to the first story <laughs> what did we make of it anyone jump in <laughs> i love this adaptation i'm not gonna lie i'm i the, there was obviously a lot of choices to change things in the story from the comic book, not just because of some of the, the you know, like the things you don't want to depict on screen, not just because yeah. of that factor, but also uh, just to make the narrative, I think, flow better. Um, mm -hmm. I love the way it was done. I thought it was, you know, the changes really worked for the medium. Um, I have one complaint just one and that's uh the way they depicted despair i thought did not do justice Ooh. to the character mm. despair is yeah. incredibly powerful disturbing overwhelming people do horrible horrible things when they are um in a state of despair and the portrayal of despair just was kind of like depressed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say when Despair walked in, she reminded me of the blue character from uh, Inside Out. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. Valid, which is just yeah. sadness. That's yeah, not, yeah. That's, that's not despair. That's just sadness. Yeah. Despair should be overwhelming. Despair should be disturbing. Yeah, like yeah. a housewife. Like, if they're going to go with, like, a white <laughs> female version of this character, I was thinking, mm, I think I'd rather have, like, a housewife that's just been, like, trapped and on like speed for the last 20 years and like just angry about a, it a, but also a desperate? like desperate i like that idea because election day was last week i'm like who is who would be the personification of despair right now it'd be like a middle-aged white housewife in like ohio <laughs> Like Ohio, <laughs> Ohio worked out pretty well for them, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I like this, like, you know, a, a despair of every age. And for this age, it would be huh, a desperate housewife. <laughs> I, 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 th I think they tried to do something in the middle, and maybe it didn't quite meet the mark. Like, I, I think they were saying that they didn't want to spend a lot of money on CGI, and that's the mm -hmm. way they would have gone if they tried to do a like in the comics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when the little bit that we see of her, there's there's not a lot of impact. I'm hoping right. maybe 
when we get a story well, there, with her, it'll change. Yeah, because there's not a lot of impact that the character even had in that particular in that particular story. It was just sort of a discussion. Well, I, I would say desire. I would say it's it's season one. They they obviously spent their budget on depicting you know hell and mm-hmm. all these other amazing things. They couldn't budget everything. So, you know, Despair right. gets to to wear a sweater this season, and then maybe next season when they have more budget, you know, Despair gets to be... She does do the very disturbing um, mutilation. Yeah. Yes. Kept yeah. 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 That yeah. Well, yeah. we also, we have so many people that have changed forms so many times within the show that that could be one of Despair's forms. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was good casting. Uh, I, I like the woman that was, that was, uh, it, it, the casting in general is just, oh, oh I cannot yeah. wait to talk about that. That is so good. Yeah, well, everything, everything else, that's the, literally okay. the only complaint I have. Everything else about the show, the casting, the, the sets, everything. Amazing. I'm going to try and keep my complaints to a minimum. I have a couple, but <laughs> as, as, we, as we go along. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, let, let's get into casting, uh, maybe, you know, go, go, going through the first story. Um, the first casting out of the gate for me was Charles Dance. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He's, he's, like, he's a perfect villain. He's just a perfect villain in everything he, he's in. He's one of those people that the second he walks on screen, you're like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to hate you and you're going to be the bad guy. I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you, he doesn't even yes. have to open his mouth yet. You just know. <laughs> right. But doesn't it, he it, give, he brings nobility. Right. He yes. gives Burgess this nobility that's lacking in the comics. And you understand why you would follow this guy. He's a cult leader. You know, you feel yeah. like, yeah, it makes sense. He definitely has that entitlement kind of. And the, and the charisma. Yeah. The, the charisma is something that's, that's definitely lacking yeah. in the character in the comics. He's just sort of a madman. It's like, why would you follow him? And, you know. One of the uh, the lines in there, it's like, I'll show Alistair, you know, he's, he's a rival of Alistair Crowley, who was a charismatic guy, too. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, why would anybody follow this dude, you know, until he got, you know, the helm and the ruby and all that. Uh, nobody really did, except for some hardcore believers. And an absolute bastard, too. An absolute bastard looking at what he's done to his youngest child. It's like, oh. But, but that's the thing. He's an absolute bastard, but you actually also really feel his uh, grief that's for true. the son that he left. And this is uh, something that came to me as I was watching it a couple of days ago. It really reminded me, like, he, the loss of his son drives him, right, to do what he's doing. I mean, he was, he is who he is, but that seems to be the, the, the focus. And he detests his younger son, and he doesn't want to have any new children. And it actually mm-hmm. reminded me, of Denethor with Boromir and Faramir. Like that just came to me as I was watching it. I just thought this is kind of like a parallel of how Denethor, you know, was so grief stricken when Boromir died and he just didn't care about Faramir. And she was like, yeah, go out there and die. I don't care. You know, if anything would bring Boromir back, it would be fine. So I was just like, I could also imagine Charles Dance playing Denethor. I mean, he was played excellently by the guy that played him in the movies, but that's what I, that's what came to me. You very much came across as someone who does not hear no very often. No. That's the entitlement, right? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so Burgess is able to capture Dream. What do we make of that? 
like dream is one of the endless these incredibly powerful beings and this you know human magician is able to capture him even though he was trying to get death what did um what did some of you new newer newbies think of that um i as soon as as uh, dream showed up i could understand why he'd want to to call him there because you know i'd i'd want him <laughs> to show up at my place too i mean <laughs> damn um I, I mean you know that's one of those cases where it's like am i attracted to them or is that just like goals you know <laughs> you, you, you could say the same for you could say the same for death as well yeah. uh, but yeah that's uh, everybody is so the, the the endless with the exception of despair which is in you know on purpose they're so pretty ah oh, can oh, we talk I, desire no, no, please? no don't get me started don't <laughs> even get me started oh my god <laughs> Oh, all <laughs> Mason Alexander <clears throat> Park is a beautiful human being. The only I can I can I, uh, I uh, we've lost Okay, I can sum I can sum this up with one word: sploosh. <laughs> <laughs> Whose turn is it to change Ruark? <laughs> and, and again, that that's like, I don't know if I want to be with them or just be them, but, yeah. you know, I think possibly the answer to that is yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind Pretty of the much. point, and right? Yeah, yeah, very much. Very, very good casting. That uh, perfect casting <laughs> yeah. for a character named Desire. Okay, so if we're going, if we're going to the casting and the 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 beautiful endless, we have to go to Dream. Tom Sturridge. Yes. Yeah. So good. Oh so my goodness. Good. So I did not watch any promotional material. Unlike Wheel of Time, um, I didn't watch any promotional material for The Sandman. And I'm really glad because I only know Tom Sturridge as Dream and that voice and that gaze and the way he holds himself and that skin and that hair and those shoulders and the posture. Sorry, somebody else. Um, Simon needs a minute. <laughs> he is Dream. Yeah. He and is those shoulders dream. and those biceps and that back and oh. that spine and... And uh, the calves. I just yeah. want to oh, shout oh, out yeah. there. Wheel of and Time fans yeah. and the calves. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well-turned calves. calves. Well-turned really calves. Really, yes. the best well-turned calves possibly in existence. I mean, certain person in Wheel of Time is just failing. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Sturridge. <laughs> the Sandman by any other name still smell as sweetly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... So, basically, I think the... I noticed it the most with Dream. Right. So, so many of his shots seem to be just lifted, lifted from the comics. And the mm -hmm. first one that just blew me away is when he first lands um, in, in the circle. Mm -hmm. that, that is yeah, that, exactly that from the comics. Right. That, that the um, cloak bird's with eye. The helm. Yeah, with the yeah. helm. And oh. oh, just. And then the way Burgess takes the helm off, you, there's a squishing, ripping sound. 
right? And and his neck tendons are being stretched. Yeah, that pulled. that part looked really uncomfortable. It it, it yeah. almost felt like a, a guillotine or something, like you know, stretching his neck out. But it's like it's it, you realize that his you know his um his helm and his ruby and his and his sand they they are a part of him, and we realize after you know later that they have a lot of his power stored in them. But it's like he's there's something really disgusting and squishy but also that vulnerability comes across right like his his face is being ripped off and then you get this really kind of pale clammy skin you know and then the way he holds himself in the goldfish goldfish bowl is exactly like the comics you know it's just these long gangly pale limbs and he's kind of curled up um and then the eyes we, we get the eyes in just a few places they decided not to do the um, Dream's eyes all the time because of CGI purposes. I think it worked perfectly because Tom has amazing eyes. It gave a real grounding to the character. You know, it's a supernatural character, but doesn't always appear supernatural. Very grounded, very relatable. I'm here with David, and uh, we're just going to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. And David, you went onto their shop, and you found something you really enjoyed. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, they have these great digital download prints of TIE Fighter X-Wing um, that are watercolors that look kind of like blueprints, but they're like pointillism, and they look amazing. Yeah, those really do look amazing. Uh, if other people out there want to find something like that, what should they do? Check them out. Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's four, the number four, cats with a K, boutique. Um, so we, I don't want this to turn into just like a Thirst episode, but um, <laughs> it's not my fault. It's not my well, fault. we're not done I yet. We haven't completely, talked. I know, I know, well, but I'm preparing you for We haven't talked about Lucifer yet. We're not done. Well, That's what that. I was just going to say. You before, know, we're talking about the Endless and the casting of them, but Lucifer was phenomenally cast. So, so it's funny because because I just reread the comics. I hadn't, um, I, I, I didn't have the memory of what Morningstar looked like from the comics. You didn't remember David Bowie. I did not remember yeah. David Bowie, and then so I looked at the comics, and I'm like, oh, there's Gwendolyn Christie, like right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You you said you didn't want to talk about thirst traps, but oh man, yeah. <laughs> uh, talk talk about another one right up my alley. Oh, especially with like later in the scene with the like leather bodysuit and the leather oh, wings. My God, the, the costumes. Oh, the costumes. The costumes changes were just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. All of the different outfits, the way the wings coordinated with the oh. outfits. Yeah. And the ring, I, I, the ring kept changing color as well. Oh, mm -hmm. just. Mm. I mean, I had a crush on Gwendolyn Christie anyway, but that just sent it over the top. Yeah. <laughs> it, it did feel to capture um i really enjoyed the the constantine movie while i recognize is not a very good representation of the character constantine i still enjoyed the one with with uh with um keanu keanu reeves um and one of the aspects i really loved was their representation of gabriel and this feels like it could be in that same world it was a, another mm -hmm. perfect representation of what could be an angelic human but not human like an elevated oh there's some similarities but that is what we would want to try to be an it was earth, beautifully done. beauty yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and I, I love roles that you know really lean into gwendolyn's height right it was yeah. just i mean 
it's not statuesque. It was just beautiful. Towering. It was angelic. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and they and faced off. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the camera angles. The camera angles when they were facing off. When you know one of them was getting the higher ground, then the camera was higher. So when you were looking down at Lucifer, it was just amazing. And then when you know Lucifer's looking down at Dream, it was oh. Yeah. I particularly loved how they did that. I liked that it mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily them going through shape shifting. Mm -hmm. It was it was more metaphysical than that. Yes, metaphysical, metaphorical, and just fantastic. Yeah, so they've good. done a lot of that though in the show, right? When yeah. in the comics, imagining how they could do it. The way that they've taken it means that they're saving money with effects, but then you're getting much more powerful, visceral, you know, kind of engagement, like the, you know, the, the veins, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. the, and the shriveling and the withering and then yes. coming back again. Yeah. Honestly, it reminded me of the cold open of the last episode of season two of Legion, which was a showdown between uh, uh, Legion David and uh, the the I forget what his name is uh, uh, the the guy he was having his psychic showdown against and it was very similar where like it just showed them kind of like at each other in this very well lit scene but then they had like this this animated stuff like swirling in the sky and attacking each other and like turning into spiders and things that were attacking oh. each other it, it was just. It was so fantastically done, and it this totally reminded me of that same thing. And I, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. There may have been one informing need, the other at some point. I need to finish that one. Uh, I only watched the first few episodes. I want, I want to come back to the whole Lucifer in hell scene, but the the other disturbing thirst trap I would like to talk about <laughs> is the Corinthian. Oh, really? oh, Which yeah, is so disturbing. Uh -huh. Yep, yep. So, so good. A another excellent that, casting. That actor really carried off the whole charming but dangerous yeah. vibe. Boyd Holbrook is, yeah. um, I need he to watch everything that they're in. Yep. And he's pulling it off completely with charisma as far as I can tell, because he, he is not my type physically, but damn, like, still. <laughs> and using, you know, there's no... He's not acting with his eyes. Yeah. He can't. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing shades for, you know, 99.9% .9 of the show, right? Mm -hmm. And then when he's not, he, he still can't see his eyes. Yeah. You know, you see <laughs> yeah, so I I, I read um, some, uh, you know, people being very disturbed by the fact that everyone's in love with this. I mean, he's, he's a nightmare of nightmares, you know? Right. Like other dreams and nightmares are afraid of the Corinthian. Um, yeah, but the, the, the scene where oh, he's eating the eyeballs while reading. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> like a little strip, strip. Oh. I kind of wanted him to wipe them away. And the squish. Oh my gosh, that was sick. Yeah, the sound, <laughs> the sound design, and that was oh boy. Ugh. But, but one of the things that made him even more terrifying to me was the fact that he didn't kill everybody he met. Mm. You know, he had that nice little interview with Unity and. Uh, he had that encounter with the uh, with the house sitter. That encounter, was... lovely way to put that. <laughs> well, <laughs> encounter, yes. But everybody <laughs> lived. Well, know? I I I put that down to more that he needs them to fulfill his plans. Like he needs to keep Unity alive to keep her tabs on Rose and the house sitter. He needs 
him to pass the number on to Rose. Like that's what right. I was thinking. I was like, anybody now is going to turn around. That was another fingers across the face moment. Anybody now is going <laughs> to do something that he does in the comics, and oh, it's going to be gross. But it didn't happen. Yeah, like serial killers <laughs> and abusers. Like one of like how they get away with stuff and why they're so effective at what they do is because they don't target anyone. And so, like, their reputations matter, how they appear matter. And so, like, they want people to trust them and be comfortable around them. It's like the best way to hide is to not be suspected. And, you know, you're just, it's like, oh, he killed me. Or, or you know, he killed my sister. Oh, no, he didn't. Why would he do that? <laughs> he has such a beautiful smile. He would never hurt anybody. And there was a lot of that in the serial convention episode. Uh it, it just the different mindsets and the different types of serial well, killers watching out him there. Shut down Funland was just oh yeah, yeah. Funland is a truly, truly disturbing character, and again, cast well and played well. Um, but uh, oh yeah, that was that was something. I want to come back to the Corinthian, right? So physically, yes. He, well, yes. <laughs> also, um, the acting, the way he moves, right? So I, I love the scene when um, he comes to Burgess's Burgess Hall or whatever it's called. The way he moves through the camera work there, where he's kind of like almost appearing here, and Burgess talks to him, and then he's kind of gone to the other side of the room and he's appearing. Like I just found that really menacing. Right? Everything about him kind of plays into that menace, and you're not quite sure and you know, is he real? Is he really there? Um, and then he, and then he's the one that tells Burgess about Jessamy. And I just want to say, have a moment for remembering poor Jessamy and the way that she's killed. And the only moment that we see emotion from Dream in yeah. that mm -hmm. first episode, right? He he smiles at her while she's trying to peck through the glass, and then he nearly cries when she dies. And oh, her legs are twitching as she's lying there in this <laughs> bloody mess. So just a moment, a moment of remembrance for poor Jessamy. Yeah. But, and, and a great, uh, you know, the reasoning behind why he does not want a new Raven. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of thirst traps, now to Patton Oswalt. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Those black feathers were really doing it for me. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I do have to say that this casting is my one and only complaint with the entire show. As somebody who hadn't read the comic previously, I loved everything about the show. I thought it was fantastic. I did not like Patton Oswalt as the Raven, and that is not because I do not like Patton Oswalt. I love Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt is amazing. I, I love his comedy, but he's like Sam Kinison or Gilbert Gottfried or Bobcat Goldthwait. You know, he Very can voice. Yeah, he, he, any voice character he voices, you're like, oh, it, that, that's Patton Oswalt. And it, it just pulls me right out of whatever I'm in. You know, I do give him credit for not being as Patton Oswalt as he normally can be. Right. Yeah. He did a very genuine, like, average Joe kind of take on it, which was nice. I agree with you. You still know it's Patton Oswalt because exactly. yeah, that yeah, voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he didn't, it wasn't watching Patton Oswalt do a stand-up scene, which is the, right. the concern I had going in, that we were just going to see him take it and try and steal the scene every yeah. show. Or not, not even try to, but because of who he is. 
And he didn't. He blended well, nicely. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you talk about who Patton Oswalt is, he is a fan. Yeah. He is yeah. a major comic fanboy. That was something that I'm sure when he nailed that down, he was just jumping up and down going, this is the greatest thing ever. I get to work on Sandman. I gotta say, though, being a fan both worries me and makes me happy when I hear somebody's a fan. Because there are a lot of people that are fans that end up really just kind of pouring their own thoughts on the the, the stuff instead of what actually is there. Yeah, there's there's a range between having a, a nerd fanboy doing a voiceover in in a property they really love. There's a difference between that and Nicolas Cage's Superman. <laughs> that, 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 that's one of the things I was going to say. There's a big like limitation there in terms of fanboy going wild in Sandman because Neil Gaiman's there. Yes, you know. So it's yes. well, like... apparently Tom Sturridge did. Tom Sturridge went went fanboy, mm -hmm. and uh, Neil Neil had to tell him to stop doing the Batman voice. Yeah. Yes. Because that's how he read it. Right, it, that's how he read it like that on 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 in the comics, and thought that's how that's what Dream should sound like. And Neil, like, I no, saw that no, anecdote. What do you no, mean? Yeah. I'm not doing the Batman voice. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's kind of basically the thing, right? Like any any actor is like, I'm a big fan of this. I think I know how this. You know, this is how I've envisioned it. I'm not going to argue with anyone. Oh, Neil, yeah, you wrote this. Um, I got nowhere. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> it, but, and, that, and that's the key is is a good actor is going to be somebody who will listen to the creative mind behind it that's been with that product a lot longer yep. and take in what they say they'll bring ideas to the table but they can't be so sold on those ideas that they can't get out of them yeah right and that's why i just want to say thank you very much for neil gaiman being on set for the whole thing yes yeah. yes we know what happens when yes. he's not it, so thank you it, very it much. is his baby and he's he's raising it it's i, I don't know if you're familiar kudos. with um the original attempt to make uh, a good omens movie um, no i'm not, not familiar with that. by and large it went away because so i think neil tried so first of all neil and terry both kept creative control in it they both individually tried to work with the producers and it just hit the no you're doing this wrong we don't want to work with you and so they just ki and they killed it um so i think neil had learned was that the one that was going to be keanu reeves i don't was remember attached anything to one version? quite likely yeah. i saw him at a um a reading or something i've seen i've seen him read and at conventions a few times and he was talking about the experience of going to hollywood with terry pratchett when they're originally trying to um come up with the movie script and he said the experience of dealing with hollywood is very much they order a pizza and then it shows up and then they're like why did you give me this thing that's round and orange and red with stuff on it <laughs> so <laughs> it's not what i wanted yep. at all <laughs> So yeah, so uh, the 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 fact that he waited until he got um, the chance to make something that he would be proud of, I thought you know. Mm. Well, I mean, having recently had the experience of American Gods, uh, I'm sure that was a that that was something that he 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 was. Hey, hey now, season one was awesome. Yeah, I yeah. I really liked season one. I kind of petered out. Uh, 
Yeah, it, it, it went yeah. downhill after that. I only that. watched season one. But... After Brian Fuller left. Like, yeah. what are they going to do to my property? Yeah. Let's see Let's see how much uh, I have a say in things. Let's see. Let's put my stuff out there. And then was kind of like, okay, well, let's try, um, you know, another property. What can we do? Uh... <laughs> he wasn't the showrunner also, for like... American Gods, though, was he? No. 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 Yeah. And I, and I think that was basically it. Like he 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 built up his Hollywood cachet. Kind of American Gods was first, and then you know like doing and and Good Omens um, was one he had a huge amount of control over, and and that one I think demonstrated that he knows what he's doing. Yes, you know, so he now he's has the writer. ability to say, "I'm not going to," you know, like if it, I will do this project. And you will listen to me or we don't do it. And producers going and money going, yeah, you've been successful. So we buy it. Mm. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that, he that's definitely got the cash for this. You can see it, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. And one thing that's been happening in TV, which is fantastic, is TV has become a real writer auteur medium. Yes. You know, you get guys like David Chase and uh, uh, who's the guy that did Breaking Bad. Uh, Vince Gilligan. Yeah, Vince Gilligan, thank you. They really set the tone and bringing them on as the executive producers, you know, not necessarily showrunners, but having the showrunners kind of be, hey, you need to listen to me. Uh, that's a fantastic thing. I, I, I love that because it really builds a world over more than just the two hours. You know, directors are the auteurs of, of the cinema world, but in TV... It's really becoming the writers, and I love that when you get a writer like, you know, like like Neil Gaiman involved in that sort of thing. You know, it doesn't work in it doesn't work in cinema. Uh, see Stephen King's directorial debut and finale, uh, Maximum Overdrive for uh, <laughs> for that. I think it depends on having a balance of that. It's it's. Because having the person who knows the whole series on hand stops a lot of the writers, the you know, subwriters, from like suggesting something that won't fit with the story down the road, True. or might take away from a character development that's going to happen, and we need to wait on that. So having the person that has the whole story in mind is useful, mm -hmm. but it's also good to have somebody else in mind to kind of keep that person in check. So they don't get so lost down some little rabbit hole that they found that the whole movie, the whole series or whatever is like, yeah, this, nobody's interested anymore. You've yeah. gone down, you're entertaining yourself. You're not entertaining anybody else. Exactly. But I think Gaiman's unique in that, in that, you know, everything that he does that I've read, and which is nearly everything that he's written, he's writing about stories and stories are, mm -hmm. also, are always changing. Right. So he's able to use it. In, he's almost able to see it in his own mind in the different mediums. And so he can make those changes. A couple of those changes that I'd just like to highlight while we finish our conversation of just episode one. Um, <laughs> well, we've gone past that. We, we, we... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I think things that I hope will come back up, right? So I, I did allude at the beginning about the, how was it that Burgess was able to capture Dream. I hope that they will touch upon this. We saw Dream was out there trying to capture this, you know, the Corinthian who's gone uh, wandering off into the waking world and that's when he's captured. But... It's also because Dream has just come from this epic mission of having saved multiple universes, uh, past, present, future. And I hope that they're going to touch upon that because that's a really epic story that came much later after Sandman. The other change I absolutely love is Ethel. 
and we'll speak more about Ethel as we as we go. But mm. just for this episode, Ethel has personal agency of saving herself and her unborn child, and not yes. as in the comics where she's a mistress to Sykes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think that that gave it so much more depth, and I I love uh, Jolie Richardson, uh, amazing, and we, we'll come back to that. But I just love the fact is this is this little. This is what I love about Gaiman, and I've written an essay about this aspect towards the end of probably episode four when we get to it. Um, but just touching <laughs> upon it is how he is he. T- because he's writing stories that are always changing and he takes stories from mythologies which of which we have you know infinite infinite number of variations because it depends on who's telling it he's able to go back and change his own canon in ways that make sense to the times that we're in now and this is such an important change for me because ethel is just awesome also my favorite lines from episode one are should we call the fire brigade we are the fire brigade (laughs) (laughs) yeah you you gotta figure ethel's got some chops i mean she goes up against a guy who has a lot of wealth a lot of power and she's successful as as a a young woman during a time when you know women didn't have as much um Mm independent like economic independence as, as they do now and she right. was ex- successful in stealing from him getting away from him and not being found and then supporting herself and her son and doing very well by herself um well i do have to say that's a little easier in 1923 with two hundred thousand dollars fair you know <laughs> back then but but she has she's canny but she also has a good heart because she's genuinely nice and kind to alex she sees how he is treated right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. even though she's with his father for a long time she continues to treat him well which i think speaks a lot to her character too Mm -hmm. she's she's quite mercenary (laughs) yeah but you know she's a survivor so i want to bring up my one casting that i just didn't work for me and it's actually one of my favorite characters from the books I didn't like the new Lucienne. Really? 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 I love Lucienne. Uh, yeah, I, I love I love Lucienne in the in the comics. And I was you know, I'm happy with the, with the changes they want to make, but I just felt like it was just a bit too much too pontificating and negative without the charm of the comic version. I don't know whether I just have I just love librarians being in a particular way. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I, I found Lucian to be very charming myself. But yes. I, I had nothing to compare to having not read the the comics previous. Right. Uh, it seems that there's sort of an obsequiousness to uh, to the comic version that's not there in the. Uh, oh, in but the... He's, he's sharp and dry in the comics. Like he has a kind of like side eye, you know. Like, of course, my lord. <laughs> there you were dumbass messing it up again yes of course my lord i will bring you a cup of tea hmm. i found her I don't know, very I just... realistic for a black woman who's been running things for a hundred years <laughs> and like he comes and he doesn't listen and he's and she's just like you know what all right f around and find out you know the scene when matthew comes and reports back and he's like are you gonna tell him and she's like nah I'm just petty for this one, this one time, so he can learn. You know, just real hard headed. Like, 
when my mom was like, no, you can't wear sandals. It's the middle of February. And then she's like, you know what? I'm not arguing with you anymore. Go outside in your sandals. <laughs> and then didn't let me change. Like, just had let me have to ride it out for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And I'll come back. And she's like, did you learn your lesson? Like, that's Lucienne. Like, I just, I just loved her. Like, just <laughs> perfect. Like, that's exactly how a black woman with a white male boss would act when he's been acting up. <laughs> <laughs> And she's securing her, like, she's got job security. She knows she's not going anywhere. So she's like, all right, I got something for you. I love Lucy. <laughs> okay, Samari, you, you, you've given a different perspective. Like, I, I love everything that you've just said. I think I need to let go of my kind of comic attachment. But, yeah. Well, I think I think that's part of it is, like like Samaria was saying, the, the transition uh, that they did for the change of the character took it out of what is usually an archetype, usually a British-voiced, um, like, butler-type character. And mm-hmm. that archetype exists, and it's almost always a white, older man. Um, and so by taking it out of that archetype, um, it allowed the actress who's playing it to really just embody the role and make it believable in that aspect for me. Yes. I, I love the, the, the gender change, you know, the, the mm-hmm. that made her, made her into a black woman. I think what I was... What I was really missing was just a li- I wanted her to be a little quirky, to just have some quirk. Like you barely see her tail, right? There's, there's, I just wanted yeah, something, the, the, something. There were the pointy ears. Yeah, but you know, rings of power, no <laughs> one know. notices it anymore. I don't. I I just read her very much, very much similar to what Samaria was saying. You know, she's just yes. she's she's done with his shit. You know, and and. Like yeah. almost to Alfred levels of just done yeah. with your shit, you know, mm. like Alfred just talks back to Bruce constantly. And it's always just these biting little quips that that if you aren't paying attention, don't realize are cutting to the bone, you know, and, and that, yeah. that's kind of that's, what I felt Lucienne was doing. That's part of the archetype. That's like, you know, Sir John Gilgood and Arthur. Yeah. You know, <laughs> want me to run your bath for you. I live for it, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but they allowed Lucian to have a little bit of also the occasionally looking over the top of the glass, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is not something that you tend to give to Arthur. Arthur tends, I mean, uh, Alfred. Alfred yeah. tends to be composed the entire time. Lucian got to have three dimensions that they don't mm-hmm. often give uh, Alfred. I mean, I can see what they've done for the show because it's it's kind of highlighting, you know, change right the, the big the big theme so through through her character we're getting to see you know you're doing it wrong you know you should have learned your lesson and uh, you know you don't have enough power and so she is the voice of that i guess so i'm doing the whole uh book clock thing anyway moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um the furies the three in one the oh. three ladies the kindly ones. Oh, absolute win for me. Absolutely delicious. Okay, I I need to go on a side tangent with this that relates to Wheel of Time for a moment. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in the book that just came out, Origins of the Wheel of Time, where they delve into the mythology behind the Wheel of Time, he goes into the the three-in-one, the the triple goddess from Celtic mythology and how it it, really uh, helped to shape the world of the Wheel of Time. And I, I knew that it was in Wheel of Time, but I, I still was like, I need more knowledge about this. I need to learn about this. I'm kind of tucked it in the back of my head. I need to go learn about this. And then last night, as I was watching episodes to prep for this, 
I hit pause. I got up and went back to talk to my, to Madeline and uh, looked on her bookshelf, and she had a book about stories about the triple goddess. And I was like, okay, that feels like the pattern, like tugging me in a direction. <laughs> uh, and 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 I mentioned it, and she laughed a little bit, and uh, I, I came back and and sat down and hit play on on the thing, and the triple goddess showed up like the next second, the very next scene, the triple goddess shows up on Sandman, and I was just like, I I, I am not that type of person who believes in 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 woo or whatever, but you know sometimes it's like that feels like the pattern tugging on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, the triple goddess. I, when I saw them, so when I saw the three of them, I hadn't seen them in the promotional material, so I didn't know what they were going to look like. And when I saw them, I was just blown away. And I was saying that the representation in this show is phenomenal. I thought it was fantastic with Wheel of Time, but also this season. Um, this is Gaiman, written. It's written all over him. You know, it's it was just absolutely fantastic. I love each of them. Um, I've seen all three of them in different things, um, and the the crone, I think it's her, it's um, pronounced uh, Swad Faris. Um, she's in June, right? She's the creepy mm. head of the creepy mystics. Oh wow! And her face, she's got this the most amazing face. Like I want to look like her when I'm old. I want those planes, you know, and the caverns and the, mm -hmm. just that look. Oh my goodness. Um, but also uh, Nina Wadia, who plays Mother, um, uh, the Mother Fate. Uh, um, goodness gracious me, was a British um, Asian, the first um, Asian, South Asian comedy sketch show to come out. Uh, and Nina and Mira Sayal, who also shows up later on as the vicar, as uh, Rick the Vic. Um, and also Kane, Sanjeev Vashkar. They were the three that created that show. So it's just, I'm oh, loving wow. seeing people that, um, you know, my family, they loved this show um, when I was growing up because it was the first thing that came on television where South Asians were being comedians and talking about British culture from their perspective. Um, and so she's she's really well known for us in that. But um, but yeah, I just love them. She was so the, for the Furies, it, for me, this connects back to um, Cain and Abel and Gregory. Aww. I recognized yes. Cain from um, Good Omens. Although, actually, I, I seem to be seeing him in a lot of stuff. He was on a, a British TV show called Unforgotten, where he plays a, det a detective. It's a police procedural. And also married to Mira Sayal, who is Rick the Vic, and is also going to be in Wheel of Time, playing one of the most important characters in the Wheel of Time. From the mouth of oh, Rafe himself. Carefully craft that sentence. <laughs> I, did, I did very that carefully was, craft that, that sentence. Good job. <laughs> it's the Rourke face. <laughs> it was very was thinking, well done. How far can I take this? Yes. Um, but yeah, Gregory, I, I love how Kane, Kane cares about Gregory because Gregory is his in the comics. And Kane does actually give Goldie the egg to Abel. That is what happens in the comics. And so this is why you get Kane being being the one that is actually verbalizing to Dream. You know, like, this is, this is wrong and how could you do this? And, you know, poor Gregory. Whereas you notice that Abel's more kind of just quiet and sad, but he doesn't really speak much. And I thought that was, that was a really neat connection. So, and also I noticed that Dream seems yeah. to gain just a smidge of color after absorbing Gregory. 
but then he brings he brings the gargoyle egg back so we get irving girving goldie so yeah i did notice uh him getting less and less pale the more of his power he he got back and Honestly, the less and less pale he got, the less and less attractive he got also. But your Victorian orphan in the typhoid hospital look going on. Okay. There's a look that goths go for and and you know. Oh okay. Well on that note then, maybe we'll bring this to a close. That sounds like a good note. Well, you know, it started with thirst, we end with thirst, there'll be more to come, so, yeah. So, we'll wrap up this episode, um, we will continue, let's see how many more episodes we can actually get out of it, as I was just saying to the panellists, I've only got to line uh, two of my spreadsheet of notes, and we've got um, s- nine more to go, so there you go. Um we want to thank Michael and Jen out at the Secret Island Watch Party headquarters. Hey, I said it without messing it up. Thank you, Michael and Jen. <laughs> thank you, Michael, thank you, Michael, Michael and Jen. And Jen. <laughs> um, we also want to um, give a shout out to our sister podcast, uh, Watch Party of Ice and Fire. They, um, I'm sorry to say I've not been watching that show, so I don't even know if it's complete. Anybody else? Has it finished? Yes. It has finished. And also, of course, Michael and Jen with Watch Party, uh, Lord of the Rings, which I was listening to. So um, you can catch all our podcasts, including us, um, on the usual social media channels. All our links are on our website, whatwatchparty.com. Uh, we're also at Discord. Uh, we've got more and more folks joining us over there, and we've got a couple of them that were listening in today. Thanks, folks. Um, let me know afterwards. Uh, the most hilarious fuck up I made in this episode. I'd love to. I'd love to. Hear <laughs> <laughs> awesome. and, uh... and 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 on the subject of that Discord, we we do want to really drive people towards that Discord. Uh, we're we're starting to do a lot of fun things there. We're starting to live stream while while we're recording there, so that uh, you guys can can see our faces and and see what's going on. And and if you want to get involved in the show, just uh, come join us on Discord. Yeah. Find that through watchparty.com. It's not stressful at all to have these invisible people in the audience that are listening to us. So, yeah. I'm really selling it, don't you think? <laughs> come see how the sausage gets <laughs> made. <laughs> Just come. You'll never eat sausage again. <laughs> <laughs> come see how much editing work yes. really does. See how much it actually makes it into <laughs> the final episode. Mm. <laughs> um well um with that i'm thankful that there were no bleeps in this one um and (laughs) (laughs) axel is never living that down (laughs) I um, i don't think i actually want to know no you don't no okay no so probably not gonna be it's gonna be one for the um for the archives i think so um yeah with that final question for the panel and the hosts, which book would you like to read in Lucienne's library? The Life Story of D.B. Cooper. Oh, yeah. Solve that mystery for once Who's that? For all. I want to know where the treasure's buried. D.B. <laughs> <laughs> Cooper was uh, an American... Uh, uh, how, do you, how do you really describe him? Not really a hijacker, not really a thief. He apparently robbed a uh, commercial flight... And parachuted out 
over the Pacific Northwest and was never found. So there are, of course, rumors that he got away with it and there's there's money hidden somewhere. There's all kinds of stories about what happened. I, I would love to read the non-supposed, the actual facts of what happened in the theater scene of England back in Shakespeare's time. Ooh. I would love to be able to put to rest all of the questions of who wrote what and all of that and just know. Um, I think I would have to go with David Bowie. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine being a fly on the wall through that entire career. That would that would be amazing. I think you kind of took mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, can, you can take Brian Eno and then we can switch. There you go. Yeah. then i'll have to go with brian eno yeah uh just that that whole period of glam rock in the 70s oh yeah just uh samaria yeah i'm not going to choose anybody cool i mean they're cool to me i'll choose my grandfather um oh Oh. yeah so that's awesome great yeah so um i didn't know this like no one tells me anything like he was adopted and so I, I, I want to read that book because he's he's not yeah. budging. He's from that generation that takes things from the graves until Ancestry DNA unearths it. So I, I want that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Axel? Mine. Oh, nice. <laughs> In every universe. Makes, make the rest of my life a whole lot simpler. <laughs> Anxiety <laughs> goes away, right? I know what's going to happen. <laughs> Well, that's I'd, true. See, true. I wouldn't mind reading mine. I don't want to necessarily read what is still to come. I just want to read the last page and know when. Because yeah. if you know when, you can, then, you, then yeah, then it, you can plan out your budget and your fine. It makes so many decisions <laughs> easier. You're like Arthur Dent on the Hitchhiker's Guide. Know when, and you, everything else you can do because you know it's not now. Yeah, exactly. Right. I yeah. love. Uh, it's like, oh, sweet! I can finally go go uh, parachuting. I've always wanted to do very, that. Very pragmatic. <laughs> you know, that's not how it's going to end. Yeah. So my answer is, while I love and appreciate Brandon Sanderson for being the one to complete the series, the book I would like to read in Lucien's library is, if our creator had was still with us, what would the final book of The Wheel of Time have been? 